Captain Kirk. Fascinating. <laughs> I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Thank you, thank you. Love you. Most illogical. I said. Well, that was different. Yep, rousy, but different. Places, please. And here we go. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, bears, and dozians. And things to episode 63 of the Muppet Trek podcast. I'm Steve. And I'm Jarman. And we're here to compare, contrast, and confer about our two favorite franchises. And what are those, Steve? The Muppets and Star Trek. We've been doing and we'll keep doing one to one reviews of The Muppet Show and Star Trek, the original series. And tonight we're covering The Muppet Show with special guest star Harry Belafonte and Star Trek original series episode Day of the Dove. And Ooh. Steve, who is this gentleman that's going to be on The Muppet Show, Harry Belafonte? Well, singer, actor, and activist, his album Calypso was the first LP by an individual artist in history to sell over a million copies. Wow, I didn't know that. He had active participation as an activist and was even a confidant and advisor to Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. And he's been a UNICEF goodwill ambassador since the 80s. Very but what cool. does our audience know him from? Well, who hasn't heard Deo, the banana boat song? And, and Beetlejuice, nonetheless. That's like the biggest place Beetlejuice, know that's from. true. That's hard to beat. Yeah. But what's he up to this week on The Muppet Show? <laughs> well, backstage plot basically centers around the fact that Fozzie is writing the show and he's really bad at it. This is witnessed when Kermit comes out and reads the script laden with spelling errors. He's Kermit the Forg and he introduces Happy Belafonte. <laughs> Harry Belafonte hits the stage. Uh, he's on a dock performing Deo. Fozzie comes out. He's worried it's not a big enough number and finds out that it's his first TV performance of it. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, and he adds more and more to the scene with Calypso pigs and Beauregard bringing in incorrect things that aren't bananas. Uh, and it's just a great number. Mm. Great number front to back. Up next, we get Rolf and New Zealand who sing T for two, two for T, but they sing it backwards. Oot for eat, eat for two. <laughs> it's short and cute. Up next, we get pigs in space where the doctor's testing a dissolvatron which makes items disappear. He uses it on the captain who comes back, but the captain and piggy have switched voices, but then more people come in revealing that they have switched personalities and voices until there's a cavalcade of incorrectly voiced Muppets on stage. <laughs> Afterwards, we get a duet between zoot and Floyd called honeysuckle rose. It's a jazzy number where uh, Floyd is a uh, zoot rather is plagued by a fly buzzing around. He tries to shake it and eventually sucks it into his mouth via his saxophone. We take a trip to the world of Muppet sports where it's blindfold racing. And it is just a cacophony of people running into each other and injuring each other. We then get turn the world around uh, where Harry sings about the basic elements that make up the world and how they all work together to make the world turn around and uh, it's traditional African culture. The traditional looking African masks that come out that are actually puppets. Uh, and eventually they're joined on stage by all the Muppets who sing Turn the World Around. Mm -hmm. uh, so, German, what did you think of this week's episode of The Muppet Show with special guest Harry Belafonte? Well, uh, actually, that last number you mentioned, I, I noticed that there wasn't a warning at the beginning of Disney plus saying anything culturally unsensitive uh, because I was worried about that with the masks, but I guess they were traditional masks. And I did look up people from Guinea in, in Africa and like traditional costumes and garb. And that is kind of what people in Guinea wore. So it was, it was actually culturally sensitive in this, in the sense that it wasn't actually just mocking. And I don't think Harry Belafonte would have done it. 
mm-hmm. if he had felt it was insensitive. Right. Exactly. And it probably was clearly white puppeteers that, that were thing. that were there, but like it was they were wearing actually, you know, the, the appropriate kind of like, you know, the look basically. Um, right. But overall, I thought this episode was even though I was, I was thinking it's like it didn't it wasn't a traditional episode. And a lot of, a lot of Harry Belafonte's numbers were actually very long. They um, were. They took up most of the episode. He was in most of the episode. And I thought that was really kind of cool, actually, because he carried it very well because his acting was good. He was good interacting with the um, the Muppets. And, of course, he's just like he's so joyful and fun just to watch and to see him perform that this episode just like it really kind of soared for me. Um I don't know. I could just, even though there wasn't that many of our traditional Muppet segments, he made this a great episode. Uh, and I'm glad you yeah. said that because this is widely regarded one of the absolute best, including by Jim. Oh, nice. Who often had this included in retrospects of his work because he was really proud of this episode. Yeah, because they really tailored things to him too. Delafonte. And like the whole uh, scene with the, the the boat and everything, it was just amazing. I love that. Yeah. Like they came out and he did his, he did what they do with a lot of these celebrities is they come out and they do their shtick first. So he comes out and does the banana boat song, but he doesn't just perform the banana boat, which he could do. It's a whole sketch. Yeah. With a great performance tucked into it. That's what Muppet should be. It was great. We do get a few staples. Like we get pigs in space and not only a pigs in space, but a good pigs in space. Yeah. With like really cool thing of all the different voices with different Muppets, which is pretty cool. They're not all winner pit the pigs in space. I loved <laughs> the oh, I totally forgot. How did I miss this in my notes? The Harry Belafonte and Animal Drum Duel. Yeah, that I was missed amazing. it somehow. My summary. What am I thinking? I must have skipped over it. <laughs> that is great. It, Harry Belafonte clearly got to do something he loves, but doesn't get to do that. You know that often. Yeah, just playing drums. Um, you get animal stuff. I just I, this is such a win of an episode. And then the ending, Turn the World, just feels like it has so much integrity. And it's so personal mm. that you get invested in a way that I can't think of any other musical number in the Muppets. Especially because it's all it was just very all uniquely done, like you said, where they integrated uh, the Muppets in his first number. But also the, the, for that last number, first he talks about that number with Fozzie in regards to like what it means to how, how he was about his writing process and how we talk to this person in Guinea to get to know the history of the country and what that meant to them. And then he goes into the song and then the song even goes into the credits, which has never happened before. In any oh, other and they like finish on it. It finishes on such a yeah. high note and everyone's just involved and just feeling togetherness and happiness. It was like, Oh, this is such like a heartwarming episode. And, and, yeah. And I think the other thing I felt that now that we're talking about it is I'm finally able to identify it, is that there's so many hosts we get that, that clearly they're stroking that ego as hard as they can. Mm. Yeah. And I didn't get an ounce of that in this. It was a collaboration, not a stroking of the ego. Yeah. Right. It was perfect. So I can tell you right now, both for nostalgia factor, because this is one of my favorites growing up, but now rewatching it, having rewatched all of these back to back, I can easily say this is top five without even having to think about what's already in there. Yeah. It was an example of because before we had great episodes where it's like, oh, there's a great um, balance of the guest with Muppet stuff. Whereas this one's like the guest was so strong, the Muppets just integrated with him. You know, like and I was like, that's really cool. Like it just it was that right. strong. And it it. Deo and turn the world around collectively. We're like half to two thirds of the episode. Exactly. Those two numbers. That's never and happened before. Yeah, that's never happened before. <laughs> I think maybe the one the one slow moment in the entire episode uh, was Harry Belfonte's drum solo. And turn the world around. Maybe the one 
<laughs> moment that goes on a little too long in the entire thing. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that because I think the one slow moment for me was was the uh, the the bee buzzing into the saxophone number. It went a little too long for me. Um, so like, okay, we get I, we get the gag, we get it. It's gone on a little too long. Can we move on, please? But other than that, I think um, it was fine. But yeah, just uh, I'm not gonna say a perfect episode, but man, it's up there. Yeah, it's it's taking the top spot probably. So folks, All right, so watch music it. this week. <laughs> Deo, the banana boat song. So they claim on this episode, this is the first time per- performing on TV. Mm-hmm. However, uh, from what I can see, the song was arranged by a guy named Lou Burgess and William Attaway in 1955, which was then performed by Harry Belafonte on the Colgate Comedy Hour. Oh, which was a televised comedy hour with uh, with Martin and Lewis. This was on Wikipedia. I couldn't find any any film of it, any other recounts of it, other than then it's listed as it was performed on that show by Harry Belafonte. So not quite true. So, so I don't, I can't say it's not true, but the fact that I found that makes me go, what? Why would they lie about it on this show? And that would have been the late 50s? Yeah, late 50s. Damn. Okay. 55 to 57, somewhere in that range. Mm. Uh, T for two. By Vincent Umans, uh, I'm so sorry, Vincent's family, <laughs> and Irving Caesar from the 1920s Broadway musical No No Nanette. Legend has it that, this, that the sale of Babe Ruth from the Red Sox to the Yankees was to finance this show. That's like the big urban legend. That actually happened, but it was a different show called My Lady Friends. <laughs> That it financed, but but this show, uh, no, no, Nanette, is often blamed for the beginning of the uh, the Red Sox curse. Oh wow! The curse of the Bambino is like blamed on no, no, Nanette. And folks out there, I was there for the end of the Red Sox curse in Boston, and I watched the riots happen afterwards in person. So it happened two thousand four. Man, that's when it all ended. Uh, I'm looking at my notes. I forgot to write something for Honeysuckle Rose. It's a song. It's a song. Turn the world around. This was actually from his 1977 album by the same name. Belafonte in the years prior had done like a series of pop driven kind of albums. Mm-hmm. But this album marked his return to his roots of interpreting African folklore and traditional song into gotcha. to modern music. Um, and so this this song became like his signature song for the remainder of his career. And it was performed by him at Jim Henson's Memorial. Nice. And he's currently still alive at 94 years old. He is. Yeah. Uh, And Jim Henson, I mentioned this earlier, considered this to be the best work of the entire Muppet show, was his work on this episode with Harry Belafonte. Wow. Only downhill from here. And he was very good friends with Sidney Poitier as well. Poitier. uh, Poitier. And uh, he was very sad at his passing. But um, yeah, yeah, Belafonte is still around. Uh, All right, Jeremy, what did you think was the best Muppeteering moment? A mixture between two, because I think maybe you might agree that Deo number was pretty fantastic with a lot of great. collaboration with like just all the Muppets moving around and the music and props and the dancing. And they all pulled it off so well. Um, but also, I was really impressed by the uh, Pigs in the Space uh, uh, sketch because the fact that they all kind of exchanged voices and changed around who was doing what puppets. And also, you can tell in the um, Miss Piggy puppet he's doing the movements of the captain hogthrob is that his name <laughs> uh-huh. link hogthrob link hogthrob he's like moving him the way he would move but with piggy's puppets so i was like that was really impressive the fact that it was doing that with th- it was just really cool i don't know and not only what they used to do it, it takes me back to the days of at the dance 
the original like season one at the dance where it would be the same puppeteer doing both puppets. So I could tell they were doing both voices. Ah, but there was none of that here. Like these were different performers, different voices for different characters. Yeah, it was all over the place. <laughs> yeah, all over the place in the best way. Uh, that was great. I'm going to give it actually to uh, the duel between Harry Belafonte and Animal, which ah. I so I can't believe I didn't talk about that. Um, it was really well played. It was uh, from a comedy perspective. It was very tight. The echoing back and forth was identifiable without either of them having to say a word, really. Yeah. The concept existed. Them both going at it. Harry Belafonte clearly getting, clearly getting to show off. Yeah. His like, do you see skills. how happy he was during that? <laughs> He's always happy. He's just a happy guy. I don't know if I've ever been. I've never smiled as much as Harry Belafonte <laughs> doing that drum in my entire life. He was so happy. Um, so I've got to give it to to that 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 bit between him and Frank Oz as animal because it was just so tight and clean and well communicated. Very well done. So, John, let's talk about this week's episode of Star Trek, the original series. All right. This week, we got Day of the Dove, and we have the Enterprise responding to a distress call from a nearby human colony. And once they get there, there is no sign of any settlement or any of the 100 men, women and children that are supposed to be there. And at the same time, above the planet, a Klingon ship comes into view and they are heavily damaged, floating adrift in space. And the Klingons beam down to the planet as well, and they accuse Kirk of attacking their ship, killing 400 of the Klingons on board and trying to start a war with the Klingons. So this also makes Kirk and the others suspect that the Klingons are the ones responsible for taking out the colony that's supposed to be on that planet. So meanwhile, we as the audience see this strange energy orb floating around, like watching all of this, but the the Starfleet and Klingon crew do not see it at the time. So the Klingons demand that Kirk and the rest of the crew of the away team surrender and they beam, and to beam them above the Enterprise so they can take over the ship for themselves. And Kirk agrees with them after they torture Chekhov with an agonizer, but he uh, sends Spock a secret code letting him know something is wrong before they beam up. So the away team is beamed up, but they are able to beam the Klingons separately and then they take them captive. And it seems the energy orb is also secretly boarded the ship and has taken control of it, taking away navigation and communication controls, and sends them at warp speed 9 on a trajectory out of the known galaxy, which is crazy. And it also blocks off 392 members of the Enterprise crew behind bulkheads, trapping them there. So there's very limited crew that are not blocked off by a bulkhead. So the rest of the crew still doesn't know about the energy being that's apparently on their ship. So they think it must have been the Klingons that have sabotaged the ship to make it do all this. So Kirk confronts the Klingons about it. And suddenly swords are summoned out of nowhere for both the Klingons and the Enterprise crew. And they start going into a sword fight and the Klingons are able to escape onto the ship. So many fights take place around the ship and many crewmen are injured. And eventually the Klingons take control of engineering. And they are able to turn off life support for the rest of the ship, which would eventually kill the whole crew. But suddenly it stops working and the life support comes back on. And at the same time, the injured crew members who are on the verge of death in sickbay start healing miraculously. So Spock finally figures out that there's this alien orb entity on board and they start to figure out that it feeds off of negative energy and violence. And it must be instigating the animosity between the Enterprise crew and the Klingons even implanting false memories like making Chekhov believe that he had an imaginary brother that the Klingons killed long ago, which he now must avenge, even though he never had a brother. Also, the rest of the crew get really racist and rapey for some reason, which is kind of disturbing, but we can talk about that later. Uh, Mara, who's the wife of the Klingon commander, Kang, 
and he's who's also his science officer. She's sent out with the guards to make um, the life support turn off again, but she's captured by Kirk and Spock. And they eventually convince her that there's this alien entity influencing all of them and that if they don't stop it, it's going to make them fight for eternity and they'll heal constantly and just have to fight till the end of time. So she goes with them to convince Kang to have his men stand down. And after a brief fight with Kang, Kirk convinces him to tell his people to uh, all over the ship to stand down. And then they start laughing at the alien orb saying, we're not going to fight for you. And it leaves the ship and they live happily ever after. So we think. So, Steve, what did you think of Day of the Dove? <laughs> uh, all right. So things I really liked. I liked that there were very sudden stakes. Like all of a sudden the Klingons were there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and that there was a mystery to unravel immediately. Typically, it takes them a long time to figure out. Like normally we know stuff before the crew knows. Mm. We that was the case here, but they immediately knew something was up. Something is wrong. Yeah. Um. I like that Scotty's hair was kind of back to normal finally. Yes, this is the episode where he said, I'm not doing that anymore. It looks weird. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, I love that there were sword fights. Like when you get to see sword fights in Star Trek, besides like the JJ. <laughs> That's true. One. Um, and then I thought it was really cool that for the Klingons, which are often personified as overly masculine, maybe over patriarchal. Mm-hmm. The chief science officer was a woman. Yeah. And actually in future Star Trek that was we'll, really cool, which we'll get into. The women are just as much of warriors as the men in future Star Trek uh, in Cleon culture. So you'll see that later on there. They are not to be messed with. <laughs> uh, women. And it was always it was neat to see like a common enemy with the Klingons. I don't know if we've really seen that yet. Mm. But maybe, you know, the makings of them getting along finally here. Yeah. They have to stand up against a common enemy. Yeah. Uh, things I maybe struggled with or disliked a little bit. Uh, once again, in a future where there's amazing medical technology and people get hit by energy beams and stuff, Bones is really just out of his depth with a couple of stab wounds. <laughs> yeah, they can't it heal sets them. Sets him into a rage. <laughs> um, I hate the check. I hate the Chekhov's uh, like hate for the Klingons is only overcome by his horniness. And that's like the, the, the rapey thing you talked about. Yeah. I didn't notice that really anywhere else. I really could have done about that. The aggression. Yeah. But like, he was the only one who was like, Oh, I hate you. I'm going to push you up against this wall. It just felt weird. Yeah. It was out of place for sure. It was out of place, even with the rest of the episode. Uh, and some uh, of Shatner's action choices through the episode were confusing. (laughs) Uh, He moved from choppy and like when he was being overtaken, choppy and trying to convey he was barely holding it together against the violent impulses. And other times he's just happy go lucky Kirk, despite the fact that nothing has changed. Right. Uh, So he just made some inconsistent choices that I think communicated odd things to the episode. I kind of said something similar that I feel like it was a good idea for an episode. I think it could have been executed better because it's like. I would have loved to have seen a more gradual, consistent descent into anger for each character, whereas it just was very, like you said, it was very back and forth. Suddenly they're very angry. Suddenly they're fine. It went back and forth a bunch of times. It just wasn't very consistent. See, I don't think they even needed to do the anger amplification thing. And I think this would have been a perfectly fine episode. Yeah. Like they're in this tense moment with the Klingons. And then all of a sudden, one of the Klingons has a knife. He's got a knife. And then suddenly a 
crew member has a knife. He's got a knife. And then they're at it. They didn't need to amplify the emotions for that to happen. Yeah, just stoke some violence with some circumstance. And then yeah. it calms down. But then the next time, oh, uh, the thing is making it look like they're taking over the phaser banks or something. Yeah. You know, it's just it didn't need to have the amplification. They already hate each other. Because that makes it even more strange why they'd implant false memories to some people, but not others. Like, it just didn't yeah. really make a lot of sense. Inconsistent. Yeah. Not bad. But I was really hoping that we were going to have just one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever to go with <laughs> Harry Belafonte. <laughs> Harry Belafonte. And I'm just sad it didn't end up that way. Yeah. It was kind this of was not like a bad episode. But it was it's a not, mediocre. It was a mediocre. It's not the meat, you know? Yeah. It wasn't one of the, the classics of all time, like Jim Henson said. So. Do we have any more classics of all time coming up in season three or is we the do. best behind us? We actually do. Okay. There are they all have weird names, so I can't tell. <laughs> You'll see. There's some good ones in there. There's some solid right. episodes. Season three is not a wash, so we're good. So you got some factoids for us? Just a couple. There weren't amazing factoids this time around. But um, so Mara, who's the female Klingon with uh, who actually has lines, she's the only a female Klingon with a speaking role in all of the original series. Um, That changes a lot with Next Generation and going forward. But um, um, another female is boarded on the Enterprise at the same time, but you only see her briefly and she has no lines. Uh, Kang, the uh, captain, he wears a golden sash, um, which is the same one worn by Kor in Errand of Mercy, the episode we've already seen, uh, which would be the same sash that's eventually worn by Lieutenant Worf in Next Generation. I thought it looked familiar, but I couldn't remember if I was remembering the right thing or not. Yeah, so Core is it was actually going to be Core in this episode as well, but the actor who played Core, uh, he couldn't come back this episode due to scheduling conflicts, so they made a new guy named Kang with a new actor, and actually both Core and Kang come back in future series, same played by the same actors in a uh, Next Generation uh, Voyager. Space Nine, one of those. They they come back and in those. Episodes. Kang here is what one of the uh, from the Simpsons, King and Kodos. Mm-hmm. This is where the Kang comes exactly. from. Exactly. And Kodos is also from another episode of Star Trek, which I think we already watched. Conscious of the King. I think it's yeah, it's the the Shakespeare one. Yeah, yeah the Shakespeare one. All right, um, we've covered both aliens now. We've done exactly. both episodes. Um, the spinning alien uh, orb entity effect was created with a child spinning windmill brought windmill uh, bought from a stand at Santa Monica beach. So the visual effects supervisor, James rug was told to be creative as the production budget for season three had been drastically cut. He bought it after noticing how it glistened in the sunlight and filmed it against a black velvet cloth from different angles, deliberately out of focus turning with the help of a desk fan and with different gels on the spotlights. To help it make feel, make it feel unearthly and disguise what it was, <laughs> he also undercranked the film in the camera to make it appear to spin faster, and the film was also run backwards. I just thought that was so crazy, wow. all the crap they went through for that little stupid, like... We gotta make this thing look weird. <laughs> I know, and they, they did all that work, and it actually kind of worked out well. That's what you do on a budget. That's the creativity you get. So that's it for that episode. What, what do we have for Trek Connections, Muppet Connections this week? Well, uh, Trek Connection, Trek Connection, Muppet Connection. I've got a callback, actually, uh, to the Petula Clark episode from season one. I mentioned this then, but I'll mention it again. Yeah. Coming up in just a few episodes of the original series, we get Plato's Stepchildren, which features an interracial kiss between Kirk and Uhura, which at the time was a huge controversy. Uh, NBC really didn't want it aired or filmed even because just a few months prior during a musical thing with Petula Clark and Harry Belafonte. She had put her arm on his, her hand on his arm in a romantic manner, and the South just blew up. 
<laughs> just blew up the South at this of a white woman touching a black man in a romantic manner. And uh, because that NBC was super jumpy. <laughs> uh, and so that's coming up in just a few episodes. Uh, Harry Belafonte was one of Nimoy's inspirations for the creation of the Spock character. Believe it or not. Huh. With small, subtle movements, Nimoy um, actually attended a Belafonte concert where Harry Belafonte did this piece where he stood motionless for 10 full minutes. And when he finally raised his hand, the crowd erupted. Wow. So so Nimoy based part of Spock on Harry Belafonte. I had no idea. I didn't. I never heard that before. Uh, Michael and Sarah, who played Kang, had multiple small roles in Macmillan and Wife, which featured season one Muppet Show guest Nancy Walker. He was also in an episode of Kojak, which featured Telly Savalas, who had a cameo in the Muppet movie. <laughs> Telly Savalas has a lot of connections to these things. Uh, and then Susan Howard, who played Mara, she was on an episode of The Love Boat. Of what? Oh, there it is. <laughs> and as we've mentioned many Many times before, many, many Muppet Show guests and Star Trek one-shot actors appeared on the Love Boat. Oh, so many. Too many. That's how many we have, a, we have a soundboard thing for. That's how Yeah, many. that's how many. We have a soundboard <laughs> thing for it. Uh, so, German, these, we watched, I watched the same episode twice, right? Those were basically the same thing. I mean, we have in Pigs in Space, their technology is malfunctioning and their minds are altered. Uh, just like on Star Trek, where the uh, ship's equipment and all their weapons go awry and their minds are all affected by the alien. It's the same thing. I'm, I have the same thing, basically. Uh, both feature personality changes. Yeah. The Klingons, the Federation getting all amped up, and then the Swine Trek crew switching up. That's true. And Belafonte uh, and Animal have a drum battle, eventually leading to their demise on top of their drum sets. Just like in the Star Trek episode, where if they keep on battling each other, their minds will eventually be destroyed as well. Uh, both feature opposing factions learning about each other and their misunderstanding, both in the song Turn the World Around and then the Klingons and the Federation coming together. Oh, I like that. That's good. That's uh, right. In Muppet Sports, the runners are all blind, so they can't see the finish line, just like on the Enterprise, where none of them will ever see the end of their fighting if they don't call a truce to stop it. Oh, <laughs> man. I got to stretch out. We're reaching so far on that one. <laughs> Yeah, both feature floating things that people can't get rid of <laughs> the crew and the ghost alien and zoot and the fly that annoys him. That's so true. Same episode. <laughs> oh, God, what's that? Transporter malfunction. <gasps> Transporter malfunction. All right, here's the part of the episode where we transport one of the characters from one episode to the other and vice versa. Steve, what you got for us this time? Uh, I would like uh, from Trek to Muppets, I would like an assortment of Federation members and Klingons coming over to replace the tribal masks and singing about how they come from different worlds, but then coming together. Oh, that's really nice. Um, I would have Miss Piggy transferring over to replace Kang because I think she would make a fantastic and fearsome Klingon commander. I could see her in that outfit. Like, oh, in yeah. my head, I could see her in that outfit. Just like battling everybody. <laughs> uh, replace the Klingon and Federation sword fight with blindfolded runners. <laughs> where they're just wearing their blindfolds and running at each other and hurting each other. I love that. And Bones like, ah, they're just running into each other. We got bumps and bruises. So many people on sick bay. God damn it. Medicine wasn't meant to handle it, Jim. <laughs> they're all blind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have Kang transferring over to take the place of Belafonte because it would just okay. be so hilarious to replace the joyous and loving Belafonte with an angry cold Klingon. 
I'm imagining like a really upbeat banana boat song, and he's just standing angrily in the middle of it. Day O. Me say day O. <laughs> or the whole episode, he's walking around hitting people on the back so hard <laughs> that it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, I can see that. It'll work out really well. <laughs> so I guess that brings us to the end of episode 63 of the Muppet Trek podcast. That's right. Join us next time with for the Muppet Show with special guest Leslie Ann Warren. An original series episode for the world is hollow and I have touched the sky. <laughs> so from the lovers, the dreamers and us live long and prosper, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Muppet Trek podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. This podcast has been brought to you by A Play on Nerds.